And, and so I remember one time uh, getting up in, at, at a youth group and, and doing a, 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 my, my best Teen Challenge testimony. I, I borrowed the top 10 stories I heard and put them together in a conglomeration. So I was pretty much head of a cartel and, <clears throat> and ran, dr ran drugs from Columbia all the way up to New York City when I was starting when I was 10. And, uh, <clears throat> Had a, had a ring of women that I ran out on the streets. I didn't, not a great, you know, so, uh, not, not, not too good, but uh, no, but I do, th you know, so it was just, you know, those, the stories that you hear are just incredible. You know, only God, right? Only God, just, but for the grace of God, it, you know, it just is, he, he, when we sing, he is a good, good father, a lot of us in this room really know what that means, and uh, you know, I've, le I've learned that uh, even though I didn't have that kind of testimony, uh, I, was, I was as bad off as anybody. Just my sin, my pride, my arrogance, my f fake Sunday school Christianity was, was, was just as an abomination to the Lord as anything that the most, what we might call, wicked person in the world has ever done. And uh, we all need the cross. We all need the power of Jesus. We all are saved by grace, not by works. And so uh, I'm, I'm grateful to, to rub shoulders with whether you're a graduate of Teen Challenge or a pastor of a church or a ministry that partners alongside with that, we are, we are so, I speak not only on behalf of myself and World Challenge, but also Brother Ron and Southern California Teen Challenge. I know how grateful he is as we have a chance to share hearts, and, and he and his family are, are great ministers to, to my family as well. Ron's my go-to guy when I need a prophetic word. Anybody else in this room? Somebody else <clears throat> wave at me? Yeah. Uh, he just has that... Uh, he has that thing. And I told you before, but I want to say it one more time. I have on my nightstand a little napkin from, from one of these tables here. And I came here one year, and I was probably five years ago, and deeply burdened about my son who was a heroin addict at the time and living homeless on the streets. And I just thought he was going to die. I just thought I had some faith, but I didn't have full faith, that's for sure. And I just thought, man, this story's not looking like it's going to end well. I'm going to get that 3 a.m. phone call from the police department saying he's either OD'd or or killed somebody or something. He was getting into crime and all kinds of rough things. And Ron wrote a little note on my uh, piece of paper and it made me cry. And I just kept it. And it said, uh, the, and, and uh, he said, the, the, and the sons of Zebedee uh, got in the boat with with their father. And I just, it was it, sounded, it was so simple, but it was so profound. It was like my sons uh, are going to get in the boat with me. And and then uh, my son Elliot gave his life to Jesus five years ago, and is uh, is living uh, wholeheartedly for the Lord. And uh, just, uh, and uh, he got he got in the boat with me, and we are serving the Lord together. So that's uh, as I said, that's I framed that and put it on my nightstand, and it's a, just a torn, faded little old napkin. But it's a, it's a, it's amazing the tools God can use to reach you, right? He can speak through, prophetically through a friend, a phone call, a sermon, a book, and uh, we pray that you get encouraged here at these conferences. Uh, and uh, hopefully later today, my office in, in uh, Colorado Springs has, has sent a couple boxes of, of a book that just came out on uh, Monday. It's called God's Favor, and uh, I'm real excited about it. Uh, this will be my fourth book, and it's the one I'm most passionate about because I think it's the one that has the ability to, 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 to really change the trajectory of our lives. So many of us are, are often discouraged and facing uphill battles in our life, in our family, in our ministry, in our health. 
And you know, at times it begins to make us question, you know, is God really for me? I know he's a good, good father, and I know he's for me. I know that intellectually, but are my emotions matching? And my, is my reality matching my theology? And this book is, is meant to be an encouragement. So we're going to have some uh, here a little bit later today, Lord willing. And if so, if you'd like to pick one up, uh, there, there's no charge on them. Uh, I'm just simply asking for a donation, which 100% of that will go to Teen Challenge here in Southern California. And so we pray that you'll give generously and liberally. And I know you're already giving, but uh, this is a way to receive something and maybe participate. If you don't have anything to give, just take, take the book. And, and uh, I pray that it will it'll, it'll encourage you in the favor that God has on your life. We had a good day yesterday. Amen. I, I, was, uh, I was loving hearing Brother Ron speak from Habakkuk about uh, writing the vision and making that vision clear and then having the faith and the confidence to believe that God is going to bring those things which he promised us to pass. And I've seen that as a real reality in my own life, and I know you have as well. What a word of encouragement. I was um, dumbfounded and shocked and jaw-dropped uh, hearing my wife share yesterday. I was like, I didn't know she could run circles around me when she gets up to talk. She's... <laughs> She, she's like, I'm going to have to start following her as she travels to do conferences because that was just so fresh and just, it was like an unrehearsed, uh, un, like, not unprofessional, but it was just like natural. It was herself. She was just up here and just sharing about uh, the three coming to Abraham. I'd never seen that before and how, you know, it was like we went uh, we went back to, as we were driving back to the hotel, I said, next time we go to a restaurant, we'll have to ask for, instead of a table for two, we'll have to ask for a table for five, you know, <laughs> you and me and the three others, yeah, so. I had a theological question for her. I said, if, if we actually, if somebody could physically see us sitting down and having a meal with God, would they see three or would they see one? I'm not sure, because, you know, he's three and he's one, so she said three just because she had been talking about Abraham there, so, and, and I said one just for argument's sake, so. <laughs> Man, it's good to throw out a, a safe argument with your wife occasionally, and it's much better to do it about theology than about her cooking. Um, uh, uh, did you know that, uh, that uh, men, uh, how's, that, how's that go? Uh, women who uh, lose a few pounds live much longer than the men who point out the fact that they hadn't lost those few pounds. <laughs> Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, so. Yeah, so, yeah, so if you're going to argue with your wife, do it about theology. That's a much better thing. And uh, I had the privilege of sharing with you a message yesterday that the Lord had put on my heart about bringing, bringing uh, order to chaos, that we are living in a chaotic generation. I've been hearing that since I was a, a, a young man in the church, that the, the perilous times are coming on the face of the earth. And we live in a time, as Isaiah said, of gross darkness on the, uh, covering the face of the earth. And we're, we're, we're living in a sin-saturated world. There's chaos all around us. There, and Satan is at a, a, to coming to kill, steal, and destroy. So, so we are not surprised, are we, when we are confronted by the darkness and the, the, the chaos and the dismay in the world around us. And we have to be careful that we don't let that get us down and discourage and defeated, and we, and we disengage from the battle that God has called us into, that we, we stay sharp, we stay focused, we stay alert, we stay vigilant, we stay passionate, we stay zealous for the things of the Lord. The zeal of my Father's house has eaten me up. And we stay with that kind of focus of the fiery passion for the, for the, for the flame of God and in, in the, in, in the intensity that he's given us in, in confronting the things of chaos. Don't, don't exit from the battle. Don't disengage. Don't 
check out. Don't sit on the sidelines. Stay focused on the fact that there's a fight ahead of us. Don't be surprised that you're in a fiery trial. And, 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 and don't, uh, don't excuse yourself from that. Just enter into the fray. Choose the fight and, and say, yes, God. And so yesterday we spoke about how important it is to, to look at this world of chaos and say, I am called to do something about that, whether it be in my neighborhood, in my community, in a church that is dysfunctional and, and not ordered the way God would have it intended to be, and, and it's, it's full of chaos and confusion and uh, conflict in-house, in our churches that we're meant to, as a pastor, we're meant to forge ahead and, and not just allow and tolerate those chaotic things to, to have reign and rule. And so to confront that through prayer, through intercession, through preaching the truth, through meeting with people and, and being honest and open and having strategy and vision like we heard about yesterday from Brother Ron, having a vision for what what... What kind of order could be brought to the chaos of our church, of our family situation, of not allowing things, if, if our children are, are living in chaos and disorder, that we don't just sort of get used to it and say, well, that's just the way my kids are. But no, we confront that lovingly, but with passion and power, that we just leave no stone unturned. We are constantly willing to, to step over to the other side of the street where we see the conflict. That happened with my father one time. I was in New York City. And uh, my wife and I and my mother and I were walking down one side of, uh, of, of Broadway and there was a, a young man on the other side of Broadway and he was literally laying in the gutter. I know we hear that metaphorically, somebody in the gutter, but he was literally laying in the gutter. All he had on was no shirt and a cut off blue jean shorts, no shoes, no socks. And he had a, gathered somewhere a, 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 a bit of these little pebbles and rocks. And as people walked by, he was throwing them at people and growling and making sounds. And here we are kind of like... And I'm glad, like, I'm, I'm glad I'm on the other side of Broadway, not, you know, where this guy's throwing rocks at people. And my dad goes like, hey, come with me. And I'm going, ah. <laughs> That's chaos. <laughs> but his desire, when he first started Teen Challenge and to the day he died, his desire was God has called us to bring order out of chaos, to go into the situations and confront them. We crossed the side of the street. He walked up to the young man and said, pointed at him, what do you want me to do for you? And he took his little pebbles and rocks and he, he gathered them like this. He pulled them to himself. Nothing, no, please leave me alone. Leave me alone. He goes, I'm here to help you. If you need help, I, you can be set free. He goes, I don't want help. And then my dad said, well, we can't help you. But this, and there was no deliverance there, but the sense that there was a willingness to enter into the conflict, to not run from it, to, to, to do that. It's scary, isn't it? You know, I, I don't want to run up to the demoniacs. You know, let my dad do it. Send Brother Ron to do it, you know? <laughs> and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> oh, it's so much easier to, to pass the buck and, and allow someone else to, to do that. But you know, if you don't do it, you lose the joy of the victory, you lose the joy of the testimony. And, and when you read the scriptures, it's full of testimony, isn't it? David and the how he tells his story, a lion, and then a bear, then a giant, and then a kingdom. There's a progression when we, when we enter into the conflict and say, we are going to triumph in Christ Jesus. We will not be defeated, but we will defeat the enemies. That, that, that takes some Holy Ghost gumption, and you and I are meant to have that. And don't get tired, don't get weary in the battle. So in this morning session, I want to reverse things 
and, and do something different than what I was telling you about yesterday. It may sound strange at first, but instead of bringing order to chaos, what I want to suggest we do also, it's a second thing, and it's just as important, bring chaos to order. Now, that doesn't make sense. You, you've just finally convinced us to bring some order to chaos, and now you're talking about bringing chaos into order. There is an order established that should not be. There are things happening that should not be happening. They, they have come into an order. They have come into existence. They've come into status quo. They've become into traditions. They've become the ordinary. They've become the norm. They've become the accepted. They've become the tolerated, and they are not meant to be tolerated. We're tolerating things that we're not meant to be tolerating. We are accepting things that are not acceptable. We have become, we've, we've made normal things that aren't meant to be normal. And we're looking at these things just saying, it's just the way it is. And, 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 and I suggest to you this morning, not only do as we talked about yesterday, when we see things that are chaotic that we bring order to them, but I also would say that with things that are ordered incorrectly or ungodly or in a way that God never intended them to be, that we bring chaos into that order. That's the opposite. But Jesus did this, right? You know where I'm going to read from? Anybody just throw out a guess. Where I'm going to read from where Jesus bringing chaos into order. Turning the tables of the temple. Thank you, sister. Amen. Got some a sister with discernment. John chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. The Passover was a very orderly thing. The rabbis and the Jewish religious leaders had been doing this for, for, for centuries and serving the Passover, and they had their systems and their structures, uh, their patterns, their events, their sacrifices, their meetings, their gatherings, their place where they gathered together in Jerusalem, the way they did their sacrifices. It was all tradition. It was all order. It was all structure. And in verse 14, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers were sitting there, very convenient. They were, they were taking people that came from all over the world who brought in their different currencies and just simply making it more convenient for them. You don't have the right exchange of money, so the money changers would say, you give us your money and we'll exchange that so that you can buy the pigeons and the doves with our currency. Or you, we can use your currency and we'll, we'll give you this in, in exchange for that. And so they made things convenient. Most of us would, if we were there in Jesus' day, we probably wouldn't have thought much about it. Grew up around it. It's always the way it's been. Personally, I wonder, even if some zealots like John the Baptist, who probably grew up in the same religious tradition Jesus did, John the Baptist, you know, the, 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 the fiery preacher John the Baptist, I'm going to assume he was probably here maybe even the same year, the year before or the year before that. <clears throat> even, even somebody like that didn't turn the tables. The most prophetic man of his day just saw the ordinary and just sort of accepted it. But Jesus, who had the zeal for his father's house, there was something in him. He was zealous. He was uncompromising. He was, he was, he was not willing to be dispassionate about things his father was passionate about. He would not excuse things, things that he knew his father's heart longed for and desired. Uh, and he saw traditions in, in the religion of his day and said, these are not meant to be. And so I'm not willing to just walk through this and accept them without bringing some chaos into this order that I see that's really not a godly order. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. If he was, if he was a denominational pastor, he would, he would have his ordination taken away from him. <clears throat> right? 
if he was on staff at Teen Challenge, he would be fired. If, if he was your pastor, you would forge a complaint against him with the deacons and elders. I mean, he got violent. He made a whip. And I don't think he hit it behind his back, do you? It was like, I made a whip, but I shouldn't have, so I'm just going to keep it back here. He was flinging it. Out, 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 go, go. There was, there was a zeal, the Bible says. So, so it was not a dispassionate movement. It was, it was, there was fierceness in Jesus. And he poured out the coins, the money, the coins, the money changers in verse 16, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. He wasn't whispering to them. Hey, when you guys finish today, do you mind just, just you know, don't come back tomorrow. You know, this, this is unpleasant. Uh, I'm going to lodge a complaint with FCC, Federal Communications Commission. This is, you're not communicating my father's heart the right way. Do you guys mind? Or can we talk about this a little bit? Hey, when you're done today, can we meet about, no, it was, there, there was a, I, I believe there was a scream in his voice. <clears throat> I believe there was, there, there was something he was, uh, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for his father's house will consume me. Um, when you're existing in a marriage that is comfortable, that is traditional, that is, you've grown used to it. Wives, you are used to your husband coming home after he has served a long day in his church office and had to use many, many words counseling people and meeting with his staff, and he comes home and he has no words for you, and he parks himself in front of the television while you cook his dinner, and he says nothing to you, you can't tolerate that. That's a norm that can't be accepted. Husbands, if you find yourself in a dispassionate relationship, there's no fire left, there's no, there's, there's no intimacy, there's no, there's no intensity anymore, there's no, there's no spark. That's, that's a situation you just can't allow. You can't keep tolerating that. You can't just say, that's just the way it is. It's, you know, it's been this way for the last decade or so. So I'm just, you know, I, I kind of accepted it as, as, a, as a norm. <clears throat> when, when your marriage is nice and it's acceptable and it's presentable to your, to your ministry and your congregation, in other words, everybody thinks your marriage is really good and you even do a six-week series preaching on, on a healthy marriage or a happy marriage and your wife is in the front row saying Amen. But you know inside she's hurting because she's hearing things she wish you were practicing rather than preaching. Then, then, then it's time to turn the tables of that marriage upside down and men get a hold of, of, of a gumption in your heart and say, this is not the way God intended this to be. There's not that fire in my soul burning for my wife that it used to be and I'm not entering into her world and, and I'm caring more about my church growing or my ministry being successful than I am about my marriage growing or being successful and I'm not putting first things first and there's an order. This has become an order. It's like a, it's this, it's this undivine order of my household. It's just, this is the tradition. We eat and we sleep and we, you know, maybe once a month go out on a date and we hardly talk at all. We have our cell phones out in front of us. We, 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 do, we don't communicate. We, we spend more time on the phone uh, in front of the TV than we do it in front of each other. And, uh, that's, and, we, and we're getting to the place where, we're, where the norm has become acceptable, tolerable, even if it's less desirable. 
We desire something else, but we are tolerating what it is. With our children, we, 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 we tolerate behaviors. Do you, do you know there's a lot of parents that don't like their children? I mean, they love their children, but they don't like them because it's hard for a mom to like a three-year-old when the three-year-old is throwing bags of french fries through the grocery store aisle, screaming at the top of their lungs, falling down on the aisle, kicking and screaming, yelling at people. As they just, it's hard for mama to like that child. <clears throat> Personally, I believe you should raise children that you like. Have a, have a design of what kind of kid you like. What kind of child do you like to be around? And then make them be that kind of kid. I had uh, my, my friends ask me to, and my wife to watch their children. They have two children. I think they're four, five and two. And they came over to their house, and they were, I mean, they would have made Jesus and his three cords look like he was an angel, you know, just... They were a mess. I mean, they were screaming at each other and fighting and pulling over toys and, and punching one another and scratching at each other and just yelling. And I was just like, I don't like these kids. I don't, I don't want to be around them. And, and so the, there was, but it was their order. It was what they were used to. It was what was tolerated. It was what was acceptable in their family. And so I sat them down and I said, three rules. No no hitting, and I said, and I explained that. No hitting, no kicking, no biting, no punching. Number two, you always ask if you take somebody else's toys. You ask them before you take them and get permission. And number three, when we call you, you don't run away into the street, into the grocery store aisle. You come when we call you. And I said, those are the three rules. Tell me what the three rules are. And they said, no, no punching, no kicking. And then the little boy said to his sister, yeah, and no kicking in the privates either. <clears throat> and he added his own rule, which I think is a very important one. <clears throat> and uh, I said, what are the three rules? And he got the three rules. Okay, so now here's the two punishments. The first time you don't break the rules, you get what's called a timeout. You're going to sit still here. You're going to sit here for three minutes without moving, without talking. And the second time, I'm going to give you a swat on your behind. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so I said, okay. I said, well, now, what are the three rules? And the little boy raised his hand. He goes, rule number one is no punishments. I said, no, no, you know, no, you don't have it right. That's, the punishment, number one, is a timeout, and, and they, they got the rules. The rest of that day, they were, this is the whole day, the rest of the day, they were so happy to have rules. They were so happy that, that the order that they had had was disrupted, even if only for a day. I don't know, maybe when they go back to their home, they're going to have the same order, but for one day, my wife and I brought a little bit of chaos into that order, and it ordered their chaos, it, it brought a whole new order. That's what Jesus was looking at doing here, bringing a whole new order to things. This is not tradition. This is, this is meant to be life. You're meant to, this, these sacrifices are much bigger than your understanding of just buying things and throwing them at an altar. This is what God has done for us. And it broke his heart. And so he brought, he brought this, this, this chaos to a broken order. And so with our children and with our marriages, we're meant to look at those situations and say that's just not the way it's supposed to be and not just tolerate them and accept them because we're so used to them being that way. Maybe you have a career outside of ministry and you're not 
head of your church or the head of your teen challenge ministry or you're in, you're in a different profession and your career, you're tolerating things that shouldn't be. You have a, a boss who continues to degrade you and demean you and, and uh, give you work that he takes or she takes credit for and you never say anything about it. You never do anything about it. You're, you're tolerating an order, a structure, and you're actually, by, by not confronting that situation, you're actually allowing it to continue unhindered, unaffected, and we are meant to have effect on our world. If we don't have effect on our world, it's going to cause us to have uh, self-image problems. Most people who struggle with low self-esteem, it's because they're unwilling to confront the difficulties in their life and their situation, and therefore they feel they are powerless, and out of feeling powerless, they feel worthless, and out of worthless, there's a loneliness and a low self-esteem comes out of that. And so in your career, in your vocation, in your calling, and even in your ministry, I would suggest even in your church, that, 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 that in our church, there's something that you want as a pastor, as a leader, as a ministry leader. There's something that you want. To, maybe, it's, maybe it's I want to reach my community. There's a goal. There's a vision like we heard about yesterday. To write the vision down, and maybe you have written the vision down, but the order is is, is something different. It's always been this way. There are churches that are led by maybe two or three families that have been in that church leadership for 20 or 30 years, and they're running things based on their own preference rather than on what God wants. And you come into that situation and say, I want God's order, and I'm willing to bring chaos to this order if, even if at risk of my job. And if you're afraid of those elder families, if you're afraid of them and, and don't confront that, that, that uh, tradition, then you're, you're going to be stuck. You're going to have a vision without the power to carry it out. And again, it will cause you to be disappointed, discouraged, downcast, troubled of soul, feeling, feeling cowardly inside. Many pastors who, and I'll talk about this in just a moment, who think they're being nice are actually being cowards. They think they're being polite to their elders, to their leaders, to their congregation, to the church structure as it's always been. They don't want to turn the tables of situations over, and it's cowardly. It's, it's a fear-based mentality that comes from afraid of not being, not being liked, not being accepted, wanting to be a, the, the core of that is being a people pleaser. Jesus didn't appear to have that problem, did he? He, 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 he didn't care what people thought. This is not going to go over good. I know it. I, I know. I, yeah, I can picture him putting these cords together and going, this is not going to go over well. They're going to write about this, and 2,000 years later, somebody's going to be talking about my anger problem from a pulpit. <laughs> but I don't care what they think of me. Because why? The zeal for his father's house, the, the, the willingness to bring chaos, was stronger than the fear of the ordered situation. The, 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 he, he didn't fear, because order has power to it. It has structure. It has, it has a dominance to it because it's been around and it's, and it's ordered by people in authority and leadership. And so to challenge that kind of order is to challenge authority. And to challenge authority is risky and, and it, can, it can invoke fear in us, but it has to be overcome. And so we see that in theology. Sometimes you're learning something from Scripture and you go like, oh my goodness, that, that, my mom and dad didn't teach me that. My denomination doesn't teach that. And don't you love it when you see a man or a woman of God with courage when they read the Bible and it says, it doesn't say what I thought it said. It says this instead, and I'm changing my theology, uh, even at risk of losing my job. 
And I've seen this. I've seen many times where, where, where pastors believe that the gifts have ceased for today. They're cessationists. They don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they go like, my theology is changing at risk of my job. I'm preaching the truth. I'm, I'm preaching, and, and you'll hear something, you'll learn something, you'll, you'll go through some hardship. Or pastors who have been preaching a, a false teaching of a, of a hyper-prosperity thing, and they go through a hardship. Maybe they lose a child or end up having some physical diagnosis, and all of a sudden they start reading the Scripture a little bit differently, and they see in the Bible every once in a while there Paul talks about, you know, if you have a stomach ache, you know, maybe take a little bit of wine. I'm not saying change your theology on wine, please, a teen challenge here. I don't talk about that. <laughs> But but um, but but they read they read something about you know uh, one of the, the the man that Paul sent back to his town because he was sick to the point of death and they said like you know the, they they didn't just sort of name and claim it there there was they were struggling with things and so they they faced their own battles and then they come up and they confess that they tell people life's hard sometimes and we're going to go through struggles and I appreciate that honesty that and so there's <clears throat> there's a, a fearlessness when it comes to changing our theology when we are confronted with truth. Even if our tradition says one thing. And so, so don't buy hook, line, and sinker. Just, you know, this is what we read, not your doctrinal statement from your denomination, although that's good and helpful. But, but, but it's not the Apostles' Creed that, that we say is infallible. It's the Word of God. And so whatever you read in here, if it doesn't align, if your order is such that I don't do this and I don't believe in that and I think this has ceased or that's gone away or that was for that generation or whatever the theology that you're confronted with in your order, your structure, let that be overturned by truth, the truth that God has for us. Stay. Otherwise, what you're going to do is in fear, you're going to try to stay fit in. Well, I, you'll be quiet about it. Well, no, I believe in this. But my denomination believes like this, so I just won't say anything. I won't rock the boat. I won't, I won't tell people what I really believe. So you sit around a table, and there's a, a discussion about, let's just say end times. We'll use that as an example. And, and you believe something different, <clears throat> but you don't want to speak up. Not because, not because you don't want to be uh, cantankerous to the, to the group, but you're afraid of what they think of you. <clears throat> and therefore, you withhold saying what is deep in your heart. <clears throat> Often we order our lives with patterns. Uh, those patterns become uh, uh, traditions, and those we have fear of confronting our, our, our traditions. We have fear of confronting the truth. Uh, we, <clears throat> we, we begin to, to, uh, to eat our own emotions, to, to hide them, to hold them in, to feel like we're, we're not good enough uh, to say what we really want to say about what we believe or what we think or what we feel or what we want to do, what we want to accomplish. We might write the vision down, as we read yesterday, but we're afraid to enact it because of what other people might think. Now, that vision's too big. Have you ever had that one before? God called you to do something, and it sounds like, well, if I say that to somebody, that's going to sound haughty. <clears throat> Could you imagine uh, Reverend Reinhard Bonnke, who <clears throat> said at one point he wanted to win a, a million people to Jesus through his evangelistic things, and he started telling his little church of maybe 60 people, I want to win a million people to Jesus. <clears throat> and, and the Lord told him to say that, tell them your vision. And when he did, they thought he was crazy, and now he's led over 76 million people to Jesus. That decision cards filled out, 76 million people that made decisions for Jesus Christ. Have, have, have confidence. <clears throat> Don't just accept the order. He could have just said, you know, how can a pastor of a small church in Germany reach a million people? But he believed God. 
the order that he saw was not the one he had the vision for. And he was willing to speak, willing to not be afraid of the emotions of that. I feel that. I want that. I am passionate about that. <clears throat> so many of us are so self-abasing that when God gives us a vision, we, we deny it's from him because we begin to feel, oh, that is so, <clears throat> so selfish of me. That's so self-ambitious. That's, that's so, I, I have so much passion to see myself become. And oftentimes, it's not yourself. It's not self-ambition. It's not, it's not pride or arrogance. It's a call of God. God called you to do that. And you're saying, no, I can't do that. That's, that's too big a thing. And that's what he said, God said to, to Jacob, it's too small a thing for you to raise up the tribes of Jacob, but I'm also going to make you a light to the nations. It's too small a thing. That's what he said to somebody who had a great vision to touch his own people group. He said, no, that's too small. You want to touch your church? You want to reach your community? God's saying to you, that's too small a thing. You think the vision's too big? He's saying, that's too small. I want to make you a light to the nations to go beyond what we're thinking Bringing chaos to order is the willingness to upset what seems good in order to move towards what is best. To, to get what is best for your life, your calling, your vision, your family, your church, your ministry, your children, to get what is best requires a disrupting of the order of what might seem good at the time. Because oftentimes we define good as it's comfortable. It's non it doesn't there's no conflict there. So therefore, <clears throat> let's not. Let's not let the sleeping dog, let's let the sleeping dog lie. You know, let's not kick him. Let's not awaken the, and make him angry. And so, but sometimes we have to bring chaos to situations that, that look somewhat orderly, but they're not God's fullest intention. Are you following me? There's something that God is after, and we're saying, I, I, I don't want to risk getting there because what I have now may be tolerable and acceptable and comfortable, even though, I know, though it's not the best. If I risk that, then I risk losing even what I'm used to. I'm, I, I risk losing the order by trying to bring, if I try to bring chaos to it, I might. And so sometimes the fear of the unknown is worse than the tolerance of what is already acceptable to us. I, I'll, I'll, accept a poor, I'll accept an average marriage because if I risk it, I might end up having a bad marriage. I, and there are many men who are afraid of their wives if, if I confront the, this norm that we have, this, this tolerance of what seems <clears throat> acceptable to us, there, 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 there are many men who have abdicated their authority in their home and, and they're afraid of their wives. I, I've had men tell me that. It's like, they, they, they tell me, it's like, yeah, I come home and my wife, she screams and yells at me and she throws things. And so it's like, what do you say to her? Say to her, nothing. Yes, dear. My, my favorite word, two words are, yes, dear. And I tell him, you're afraid of your wife. Be a man. Wake up inside. Get some holy gumption and do it with love and grace and mercy. But be the man of your household. Step up into the authority that God has given you. Take that authority that God's called you to. Bringing chaos is this willingness to upset, even though the things that seem like they're, they're, they're decent and acceptable you're missing out on what's better by not risking what is at hand already. Taking this first step to confront the present order makes the present, if you take the first step to confront that, it, it, it begins to move things. And my experience is the first step is always the hardest. Does anybody agree with that? It's that first conversation. It's that first time you sit down face to face with somebody. It's the first time you sit the two kids down and say, this is not the way it's going to be. 
and you begin to present authority to a situation that is, that is ordered in the wrong form or fashion. 90 to, I, this may sound exaggerated to you, but I would say that 90 to 95% of the people that I meet as I travel all around the world are living in an underwhelming lifestyle. They're underwhelmed with their life. They're like what I said yesterday. Jesus promised me abundant life. Is this what it is? Is this abundant life? And they're underwhelmed by their experience in the faith. The miracles that they read about in the book of Acts aren't a reality to them in this generation. And they're saying, well, you know, where's the Lord God of Elijah? What a great cry that is. But they're not willing to risk the status quo and the ordinary to put the three chords together and say, I'm going to turn the tables of my life, my ministry, my calling, my church, my city. I'm going to turn it upside down by willing to to risk, and I'd say 90 to 95% of the people that I meet are, are underachieving, they're stuck, they're, they're, used to a, they're, they're used to the status quo, the current level of, of, uh, of, of discontent that they have is, it, it's become like a fever that, a low-grade fever that they're just used to having. And, and something has to change, something has to turn, and you can stay in the present order of lesser condition, you can stay stuck, you can stay living apathetically in a rut, unmoved, without progress, you can, you can stay in, the, in a, an order that is lesser than God intended, but just if you're going to do that, don't blame God. You can stay stuck in your routine, but don't blame God for not having power to move, because it's not his fault, it's ours. It's not that God's not willing to move, it's just we're not willing to move with him. And so we can stay stuck, we can stay broke, we can stay under these lesser conditions, we can stay living apathetically, but it's not going to be God's fault that our life would be riddled with apathy and lesser results than we had hoped for. And at the end of our days, when we look back over our history, we say, I wish I'd have done more, I wish I'd accomplished more, I wish I would have risked more. It's not going to be God's fault. It'll be us saying, I never stepped up to the plate. I never swung at the ball. I just, I, just, I just took the pitches. I just watched as life went by. But that's not what you were created for, amen? You were created for something more. Hallelujah. You were created for greatness. And I know that word is, is for some, is a, a word that sounds very secular or carnal almost. But it's not. It's a God's word. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And, and a great God makes great men and great women who do great things, accept, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, said Hudson Taylor, the great missionary. He was looking for great things to happen, and they did because he had faith to upset the tables of the ordinary, of the expected. They told him, when you go on the mission field, you have to raise money through our, our missions organization. He said, no, that's not the way it's going to be done. When you get on the mission field, you have to dress like a Westerner. You can't dress in, in Asian clothes. He said, no, that's not the way it's going to be done. I'm going to upset the ordinary with chaos, what seems like chaos, but chaos is actually the God's power moving in the midst of this, this traditional order that's never meant to be, and he changed the face of missions in the world. <clears throat> he was willing to say, God wants something great in our life. In the last few minutes I have with you, I, I've been meditating on this. H how do we, uh, why do we tolerate order that is far less than God's greatest good for us? Well, number one, and I just want to briefly go through this. Number one, it's like Brother Ron said yesterday, without a clear vision, without a measured, without a, a discernment, without the ability to say, I see something different, without having a measuring stick, if you will, here's the way the order is, but here's God's intention 
and they don't match up. And the, the disparity between the two is where I need to begin to get boldness. I begin to, to, to turn the tables of this situation over. So it starts with discernment. It starts with a clear vision of what you believe God wants to do. What is the great thing God wants to do? And what is the reality, the present situation, and how far apart are there? And so having a discernment that they're not matching, therefore some action is going to be required. So number two, then, is a holy intolerance, a fearlessness to say, okay, I'm the man. I'm the woman. I'm not going to wait for somebody else. I'm not going to do this through a committee. I'm not going to do this through consensus. I'm going to be the man of God, the woman of God who steps up and says, this is something that can happen. Here's a vision that can become a reality. Thirdly, there has to be some steps, a strategy, a strategic plan that God gives you, and a fearlessness to say, it's going to take 10 years, and it's going to take hardship, and it's going to take pain, and it's going to take sacrifice, and it's going to take money, and I'm going to lose some friends along the way, and some people who now believe in me are not going to believe in me any longer, and some are going to oppose me and come against me, but there's going to be a holy boldness in you that's going to say, I will not be stopped, I will not Uh, I will not tolerate just allowing the order of the present situation to continue on as it is. Number four, this one's strange, is is one of the great hindrances to accomplishing the, 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 the true order through bringing chaos to a wrong order is, is this Christian philosophy of, we, we learn it when we're children, uh, be nice. Play, play nice. And so when you're little kids, you're always like, uh, play, play nice. Now, don't, 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 don't tell anybody what you want. Don't, don't, don't speak out of turn. Don't ask for things. And, and, so, and then, when, then when they go to college, be bold. You know, get a vision. Uh, you, know, you, you know, we go to these conferences, and they tell you, like, do something great with your life. And so, well, no, you sp- I've spent the last 18 years you telling me to be nice. And, and that doesn't sound nice, to be bold and, and, and to speak my mind and to be forceful about something and to be confident about something. It's, it sounds like I'm just supposed to. So, so, again, I told you earlier, I grew up in this kind of Sunday school culture where, where being nice was probably the, the cardinal rule. The, the, the greatest of all things is not loving God with all your heart. It's just being nice to people. And, and, and at, at all costs, at all risk, be, be nice. And... And, and, and so this, this desire, or not desire, but this, this order that I grew up with was being nice uh, caused a fear in me, a fear of upsetting people. It's not nice to upset people. That's, that's not being a Christian. A good Christian is nice to people. And they, and they don't, and so they don't, there's, there's no conflict. How many of you know that's not a good theology? The, the kingdom is full of conflict. Ministry is, is, is primarily a conflict-engaging en- uh, endeavor. It's, it's, it's seeing conflict. It's in, en- entering into the conflict. It's engaging conflict. And if you're doing it in a godly fashion, winning the conflict. But it, but it is conflict. And for those of us, I am naturally not a man. Uh, I meet men or I meet women who... I, I, I have one person on my staff, and she tells me she loves conflict. She's just like, it's so energizing to her. And I'm going like, I hate conflict. I'm having a hard time talking to her about right now because she loves conflict, and that feels conflicting to me. It's like, I don't like conflict. I just, I, and, and, and I just naturally, in my own nature, maybe because I grew up trying, you know, trying to always be nice, I, I, I do all I can to avoid conflict. And I end up agreeing with people, even if they're saying the wrong thing about what God's called me to. Years ago, I was in a church situation where the elders began to, 
to, to see some of my weaknesses about being nice, and they started taking advantage of me. The elder called me and said, you know, I think you, I, I was just praying about this, and I think you should probably preach a little less here and have some of the other elders preach. And I went, okay, well, that, if you said that, that must be God because you're an elder. And so I said, sure. And then, then the second meeting with them was, you know, maybe you should give a little bit more authority to the elders of the church here, and, and you take a little bit less. This, this one-man leadership thing doesn't work. I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't want to have a conflict, and if you and all the elders believe that, I guess so. Before long, they were running things into the ground, totally opposed to what God had called me and my family to as, as headship, giving headship to that church, submitting to an order that's not of God because of fear of conflict will ruin your ministry. It will derail God's call on your life. And so fear of entering into it by being nice, it, it, being nice leads to a passivity, an inactivity, a lack of initiative. It, it leads to a people-pleasing, an inability to tolerate upsetting another for fear of conflict because you want to be liked by everybody. You want everybody in your church and your ministry to like you. You want everybody to be pleased with you. You want a, you want a, a good report. Or, you, know, you want your, your um, online audience to always give you five stars. You you, you, want, you, you want everything to look nice. You don't want people to leave your church or your ministry. You don't want complaints. You don't want to get that angry email from somebody. And therefore, you begin to tolerate this order of things that <clears throat> never meant to be because of fear of conflict. Rather than being willing to accept a lesser reality than, than, than to rise up and confront because fear, uh, and you know, fear exaggerates things. Did you know that? Fear, fear exaggerates things. If, 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 your, if your son comes home and, he's, and you smell marijuana on his clothes, you go to bed that night thinking, he's going to be a heroin addict by next week. Fear, right? You get in an argument with your wife and you go, my marriage is over. I think she's going to leave me. Fear. fear. And so oftentimes we don't confront the issue. Because we're, we exaggerate it in our mind. This thing's too far gone. This thing's too big. I can't handle it. We make giants out of, out of ants. And, and, and we, we see them, we see ourselves like, remember the children of Israel? We're like grasshoppers in front of giants. The, our self, what is that? That's the problem with self-image. I'm small. I can't do anything. I don't have any, any courage in me. I don't have, there's, no, there's not enough in me. And it's a lack of godly confidence and it's an unwillingness did you know there's a psychological study, and they found, they found out that the nicer a person is, the more susceptible he is to a low self-esteem. Now, I'm not talking about the right kind of nice, the gentleness of spirit, the merciful, compassionate, but I'm talking about this false kind of nice where it's a politeness that's not really who you are. You're, you're saying things you don't really mean. You're, you're not telling truth to people. You're not speaking the truth, and this will lead you to a place of self-loathing. You'll, you'll begin to say to yourself, I'm not worthy, I'm no value, I have no, no life. You're, you no longer see yourself as God sees you, as loved and accepted and powerful and an agent of change in the world and able to bring life and a source of energy into the world and, and you no longer fear that, feel that because of the fear. And so I close with this. This is the last few minutes I have with you. And I just, I'm kind of repeating myself, but it's going to take these three words, three quick words. Number one, discernment. Discern your situation. Have, and I said this kind of through the idea of writing your vision, having your vision. 
discernment. What is, what is an order that doesn't belong? Discerning your marriage, discerning situations in your children, discerning situations in your church and your ministry, discerning your financial difficulties. Why is this happening? What's, what's, what's the cause? What's the root of this? And getting godly discernment of the condition. The Bible says to know the, the Psalm says, know the condition of your flocks well. And so as a pastor, you know the condition. What's the spiritual nature? What's the spiritual vibrancy? Where's, where's the heart of this? Why, why are we stuck? Why has this Teen Challenge Center on the corner of this street been in debt for 20 years and always had, you know, only had two students a, a year and, and no churches are involved? What, is there something wrong here? And I need to discern what's wrong and get, get, get some gumption, get a hold of that and call a thing what it is. And see that it's a problem. Have discernment. Once you have the discernment, you have to have bravery. I believe bravery is missing from the church. In lieu of trying to be nice to everybody, we've lost courage. We've lost boldness. We've lost giant slaying activity. We've taken the sling and put it in our pocket. We've taken the cord of three strands and, and, and thrown it in the corner, and we're not engaged anymore in, in, in loving bravery, not kind of a, uh, an angry bravery or selfish bravery. Some people are hearing this message, and they're going to take it all the wrong way. Finally, somebody's, finally, somebody's confirming my cantankerous, angry spirit. I've been waiting for a sermon like this for a long time, because you're the opposite of what I'm talking about. You're cranky, you're angry, you're selfish, you're, and, and you don't need to hear what I'm saying today. You need the opposite. But I'm talking to those who, who are struggling with the status quo and not willing to turn over the tables. Those are the ones who are, um, I'm talking about, and we need bravery. The phrase taking authority, how many of you said that before, prayed it, preached it, taught on it, taking authority, most of us in this room, I've always thought when I say taking authority, man, I'm going to take on authority. I, I don't, I'm not living or moving in authority, so I'm going to take some authority in myself and move into the condition. And I see now taking authority biblically in a different light. The word take means getting something from somewhere else. The authority is somewhere else, and I'm going to take it. The authority is in a falsely structured order, in, a, in an order of situation there's an authority in my marriage of it being bland. There's an authority in my children of it being disobedient. There's an authority in my church of running itself the way it wants to or, or spiritual death. There's this authority, and I'm going to take it from them. No longer do they have the authority to continue on. And it's not a selfish, arrogant pride thing. It's a godly ambition thing saying, God, you've called me to this, to head my household, to head the church, to head the ministry, to give leadership here, to, to, bring, to, to, to bring to bear on these situations that are not meant to be the way they are and, and better them, make them better, make them greater, make them more glorious, make them more godly like you want them to be. And therefore, we take authority. We take it from the devil. He's having authority of the status quo. Jesus went into this temple and he took their authority. They had the authority to sell and to buy and to do these things, and, and it had been tolerated for decades, if not centuries. And great men and women of God had walked through that place and just left it unhindered until Jesus came along and said, I'm going to take your authority. And that's what it means to be taking authority. That's what bravery is. And lastly, then speak the truth. Speak the truth. Don't be afraid to say what something is. It's it, it eventually... This kind of bravery, this, this discernment that leads to courage and bravery has to be spoken to somebody. There has to be a, a come-to-Jesus meeting. 
There has to be a sitting down with your staff, a sitting down with your spouse. And it's not angry and it's not selfish and it's not your own agenda of here's what I want and I demand it and it's going to be my way or the highway. It's not that. It's a gentleness of spirit. It's coming in like a dove, but it's coming in with, with, with truth. It's coming in with a, a, an uncompromising truth. This is what God said. This is the way it's meant to be. Our ministry at World Challenge, my father was, 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 was gifted in fundraising, and when he handed the ministry leadership over to me, there was a large, and I won't even mention this, but a very large sum of money in an account that was gaining interest for, uh, and that interest, some of that interest was being used for missions. So, so there's several hundreds of thousands of dollars coming out of that account every year that we could use for missions. And it was a large sum, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day and said, you need to give half of that away to the poor. And I went, that, it took my dad 50 years to raise that money. He'll, he'll, he'll roll over in his grave. Well, he's not in his grave. But, uh, <clears throat> and so I was worried. And, 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 and I went down. Uh, I was actually at a conference at the time, and one of our board members was there. And I said to him, I said, uh, Pastor Carter, um, last night I was, I was praying about this, and I felt like we should give some of that endowment away. And he mentioned a number. He said, we should give this much money away. I had a yellow notepad, and I had written that number on that thing, and it was the exact same number. And I, and I went, yeah, this is, I have to speak this. At the board meeting we had, several of the board members said, that's not good wisdom. Uh, it's not good wisdom because that, that endowment is every year, like after 10 years, we would have raised the amount of money you're giving away, and that doesn't just make good economic sense. And, and I spoke up in the meeting. I said, I know it doesn't make good economic sense, but it's what the Lord said. And Pastor, my friend Pastor Carter said, it's what the Lord said to me too. And all the other, elder, all the other board members said, then it's God, and let's do it. <clears throat> and we were able to, in the last two or three years, give millions and millions of dollars away to the most impoverished nations in the world, helping orphans, helping widows, helped t- t- so, uh, women who, who were blind, had operations on their eyes, who could see now in El Salvador and in, 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 in places all around the world. That money got out of the bank. It's not growing interest right now, but lives are being changed. <clears throat> but I'm a nice guy, and it was hard to speak up. And when the board member said, maybe it's better to have that interest, my first thought was, okay, well, let's just let's do that then. But there has to be that holy boldness in us to say there's something of value. You see, you have to believe there's something of value in you and that you have a right to speak. You have a right to say that order is not the way it's supposed to be. That money's not supposed to be sitting there when people are starving and hungry and hurting and broken. It's meant to be put to godly use. And so in your situation, in your marriage, with your children, in your church, in your ministry, in your organization, Get that vision, be brave, and begin to speak it into existence. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to give us this boldness, this fire in our belly that is not of our own selves. We don't want human anger or frustration. We don't want uh, human force and agendas of our own making, but we want godly ambition. And we want it to so burn in our hearts that it, it is, becomes an irresistible force. Uh, and, and it develops an unshakable substance in us that says, God, you're going to move, no matter how difficult it is be. Lord, help us not be afraid of conflict. We don't look for it or make it just intentionally, but we pray that we would not be afraid of bringing conflict to where it needs to be brought, bringing chaos to an order that's not meant to exist. Turn tables over in our marriage and our 
in our ch child raising, in our families, in our finances, the way we spend, the way we, even, Lord, some things as simple as the way we eat food. We have an order with the way, the way we approach the refrigerator. Maybe bring some chaos to that. And uh, I just feel like saying this, to maybe bring some vegetables to the, to the cookie dough. Lord, just a little bit, of, just a little something different that, that we've been tolerating things. We, we just, we, we tolerate the way we eat or we tolerate the way we don't ever exercise. We keep saying we're going to do it and we keep making promises, but we don't, we don't move in courage and bravery to disrupt that order of things the way they're not meant to be. We, we don't communicate with our wives for, for days on end and, and we just tolerate that and we see her suffering because of that. I know I face that myself, Lord, and, and, so, and I, and I want to see things change. I want to have courage. To, to, to change situations that need to be changed and not just let them continue on. So I pray right now for a Holy Ghost boldness come across this room, that we would leave this conference not necessarily emotionally more bold, but substantially, deep down inside, in the very roots and the fabric of who we are, we are, we are given now a Holy Ghost boldness that causes us to rise up and say, I will contend with the powers of darkness. I will contend with tradition. I will contend with the status quo. And change will happen. You will be a change agent. I prophesy that now over you. I speak that over you. You will see something in your life, an area, a particular area right now. Maybe you're even thinking of what that area is. And I pray over you right now, and I, I speak over you right now, that God will give you the boldness to confront that issue with power, love, authority, and a sound mind, a, a strategy that is wise, that doesn't have excess uh, trouble and trials and tribulations about it, but it has just the right amount of edge to it to confront that power uh, and yet do it in a way that moves it towards the greatest thing that God has for you. We give thanks. We give thanks. Would you stand with me now and just... Let's just take a moment just to, just to, to thank him. We just, say, we just say thank you, Jesus, for giving us a boldness that's not of ourselves. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for moving in our lives in ways that are beyond our own ability. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your... Lord, I believe what you, we heard today is a, is a good call from the Holy Spirit. It's a good call to, to confront things the way that need to be confronted. And we accept this now. We receive it, and we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And we say thank you, Jesus, because, because you don't ever bring a message without having it accompanied with the power and the authority to accomplish that which you sent forth to speak. And you sent forth a message about confronting the structures of, of, what, of what is ordered. And we thank you, God, you'll give us the power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.